Hello and welcome back to series two of Mimazine on Air. This series is all about reporting from different areas of the globe. And this week we are starting in the Masai Mara in Kenya, Africa. The Masai Mara is 1,510 kilometers squared of protected national reserve of savannah wilderness. And it is stunning. Located in southwestern Kenya, along the Tanzanian border, the landscape is mainly expansive grassy plains and rolling hills and is also crossed by the Mara and Telek rivers. The surrounding areas are dotted with villages or enclangs of Maasai people. When I visited the Maasai Mara in December, I wanted to find out more about the relationship between the people, the land and the wildlife there. And for this, I spoke to Ezekiel Laparan, a professional guide of the Maasai Mara with over 10 years of experience. Uh, well, thank you very much for the opportunity. My name's Ezekiel Laparan. I'm a professional to a guide. Firstly, he cleared out the difference between a national game reserve and a national park, something I was completely unaware of. Uh, yeah, uh, Masai Mara is a national game reserve, not a national park, because people do confuse between a national game reserve and national yes, what park. Yes, the difference? Uh, the difference is that uh, this park is owned by the community, by, but management is different. Unlike the national park, is owned by the national government. The resources that is collected here goes to the government. It used to be a local government, but now we have a county system in our country. And uh, the county government does, it's just like the national government, but only it's default to the county level, whereby people can get uh, services. They don't need to wait for the national government to come down. and It's a kind of devolving service from national government yeah. to the county so uh, level. So it's the economy a lot more. Yeah, yeah. Helping the local people. Yes. So um, this national reserve, it used to be a place where people live, like Maasai. Let me begin by the name Maasai Mara itself. Maasai are the people that live in the surrounding the park, and they are the owner of the park. They own the park. That's why the name Masai was included. And then Mara, as you can see, the place is purely savanna grassland. And it is dotted with some bushes, uh, trees, and termite mounds. Actually, Mara means dots in Masai or spots. So Masai spots, if you can call it, yeah. <laughs> so that's where the name was driven. And actually, people agreed to move, to vacate from this place, to go and settle elsewhere so that they can provide this place for wildlife conservation. And that's why the county government manages the park on behalf of the community. And this means the reserve is more community-based, so looking after the people there as well as the environment and the wildlife. And the resources gotten here, a certain percentage goes through the national government, Another uh, percentage goes to the county government. And then again, it will come back to help the community in terms of infrastructure. For example, we have got uh, needy children. They're clever in school, but they can't afford to pay their school fees. So the little resources gotten here 
goes back to the community and also helps them building like clinics and uh, schools. There's a kind of association between the national government and the county government and also the Kenya Wildlife Service are also within to take care of the wild animals. It is this conservation that I'm particularly interested in. The human population of Kenya has tripled over the last 45 years to over 42 million, increasing the need for land and space. This means that people and animals are more likely to come into contact with each other. So this is where conflict arises. Farmers often see wild animals as predators, as they can injure or even kill grazing cattle. There are a lot of conservation efforts, programs and initiatives widespread across the reserve to conserve the greater Masai Mara ecosystem through a network of protected areas. Let's say, for example, if there is a conflict between um, wild animals and the people, that's where the Kenya Wildlife Service Management come in to sort out the case. For example, any destruction of uh, crops or um, domestic animals, the, na- the national government, through KWS, which is an independent body, will come in to compensate any destruction or damage made by the wild animals. And is there a lot of interaction between the wild animals, of which, I mean, we are currently sitting in the Masai Mara. Yes. As you can hear, the hippos are behind us, mm-hmm. birds, mm. and I can see gazelle. Or are they impala? Yes, it's a harem of impalas. Yeah, a harem of impalas. Yeah, harem. Yeah, in a group. There are a lot of animals here. I mean, you have the big five. You have a vast array of really unique birds. But is there a lot of interaction between the animals and the people, or is it mainly animals and tourists now? Uh, this is a purely conservation area mm-hmm. for wild animals. We have main entrance gates that people comes in through. For example, you came in by air, and some guests come in by road, and they have to come through that gate where there's a proper security, proper check for those who drive in. Maybe, for example, um, to ensure that within the park it is safe. We also have uh, game rangers that patrol along. The number of rangers in the reserve is currently 280. That's up from 178 in 2015. So when you are came in the park without permission, then you will be arrested and charged because you will be either a poacher or a game hunter and you are not supposed to come within the wildlife uh, conservation. And do you have any problems with poaching or game hunting in the Masamara? Okay, a big taboo subject, poaching. The main challenges of the great Masamari ecosystem survive are demographic growth, excessive and uncontrolled tourism development, increase in off-road driving in the reserves, exploitation of the Mara River Basin, and poaching. Many African countries have contended with poaching troubles for years. For example, between January 2005 and January 2017, nearly 2,000 elephants and roughly 6,300 rhinos have been slaughtered at the hands of poachers in South Africa and Kenya alone. Kenya is home to roughly 38,000 elephants, according to recent estimates. In 2013, prompted by a surge in rhino and elephant poaching in prior years, the Kenyan government instated severe jail terms for convicted poachers. 
Since then, the poaching statistics for both elephants and rhinos have declined. Uh, initially, some years uh, back, the government of Kenya banned the hunting and the poaching in Kenya back in 1970s. It was gazetted as illegal business. So uh, from their ranchers, they came in to ensure that poaching was brought down to minimum. The Kenyan government is seriously committed to fighting against poaching and to preserve its natural resources. National parks in the Kenyan Wildlife Service are engaged in this fight, while in the national reserves, the task of monitoring the areas is assigned to the local governments. As Ezekiel said, they are in control of the Masai Mara. The key role of environmental protection and monitoring is played by each individual reserve's private anti-poaching experts. So now, just small cases. We have like rangers walking along the, the park. Ezekiel assured me poaching wasn't a huge problem in Kenya, but more so for the neighbouring country, Tanzania. Every month, along the border, we have people from our... Border with Tanzania. Yeah, the border with Tanzania. We have some people from Tanzania. Mainly, the high number of the people being arrested every month, not less than 500 or so. Yeah. They try to come in to hunt zebras and uh, just small gamut for for gamut, yeah. There are two types of poaching. Small-scale poaching, which is practiced for subsistence, and large-scale poaching, that is practiced for profit. So they don't do that on their side. They come in here. And because our rangers are very awake, they patrol daytime, they patrol at night, they're well equipped, they've got cars and guns and all that to ensure that our park is safe. So I can assure you that we don't have any uh, game hunting within the Pasay Mara Park. That's amazing. It's the sheer size of this reserve that adds aspects of difficulty regarding conservation and management. It is no small feat. It's huge. Yeah, very huge actually. And uh, that's the whole thing. And within the, the 1,510, there is 510 square kilometer that is being managed by a non-profit company known as Mara Conservancy. It came in also to help um, in terms of management, infrastructure, when you go and see the work they're doing, they're doing a great job. What sort of things are they doing? Are they trying to increase the number of certain species or are they purely protection? Uh, they do both because um, you can you, you find that things like cheetahs, for example, you can see the number of cheetahs and leopards normally go down. Because uh, the reason why is because you see the newborns are killed either by other predators, the larger predators, for example, like lions or even baboons. And sometimes they might find the, the cheetah has abandoned babies somewhere, the cubs. And the Mara Conservancy, they have started a, a way of getting those abandoned uh, cubs and put them in somewhere safe to raise them up by feeding them and after that once they are grown up enough they can depend on themselves they can release them uh, to the park they are wild but um, these officers are well trained about uh, how they can handle uh, wild animals 
I mean, as you can hear, you're a very happy hippo behind you, uh, being very noisy. Uh, yeah, because um, this is a natural, uh, everything remains natural. If you don't disturb the hippo, they don't disturb you. Usually, hippos attack people as a way of preventing themselves from human attack. And uh, if the hippo is out of water, the way you can see, and you try to deny it access back to the river, that is how they feel. And remember, every wild animal sees a human being as a predator. Mm -hmm. And as a way of de defending themselves, before you, um, you attack an animal, it shows or it sends a signal of warning you. Always we say wild animal is a wild animal. That's why there is some maximum distance that is required for a guide to keep away from um, maybe an animal. Our guides also are trained on how to, to study an animal. If an animal is unhappy about you, the, uh, we have what we call, I can call them zones. Like, for example, convert zone for an animal and uh, warning zone for an animal. So warning zone is that when you see an animal is totally unhappy about you, and then you're supposed to leave there immediately because it can attack you. Tourism in Kenya is a huge industry. Tourism, which is largely wildlife-based, generates 12% of the gross domestic product and creates over 300,000 jobs. So the country wants to continue tourism development but also restrict tourists' impact on the environment and animals, as well as maintaining their safety. For this, strict rules are in place, especially when you're on safari. It is also prohibited to alight out of your car, because when you are in the car, the animals are used to, um, I mean, to cars. They also see a car like any other uh, animal uh, object. As soon as you alight out of the car, and definitely it will try to attack you as a way of defense. In Masai Mara, we've got, I can say, um, many, many, many types of or different species of animals. I can say antelopes in a general name, mm -hmm. but we have got many subspecies. Like in front of us there, you can see Impala. Masai Mara is a home to the big five. Namely, that's elephant. Mm -hmm. Elephant is the biggest animal on earth, yeah, on earth, the biggest one. I can say it's the second biggest in the world after the blue whale, but whales live in the sea. Then again, we have the leopard. The leopard, we call it a big five because the way they hide, they're very elusive. We call them selfish because they, care, they kill the prey and drag it up to the tree. And also they're the most powerful out of the cat's family because it can drag the prey of double or triple size of its body. Wow. It takes up on the tree there and it feeds by himself. So they're so, solitary animals. Yeah, yeah. It's also solitary and both female and males are solitary. You can only find two when the female has come to the season, then they are, they are mating or a female having cubs. But once the cubs reach two years, they apart. Everybody, everybody goes to his own. They are unlike the cheetah because cheetah 
brothers can stay together for life. They can make a coalition. They can also adapt any other male. Like now we have the notorious five brothers, Chita, Zia, and Masai Mara. That's amazing, you know. Five brothers. Yeah, five brothers. Well, I can't even deal with one brother, let <laughs> alone five. <laughs> yeah, there are five. But females are solitary. Okay? And also we have the rhinos. In Masai Mara we have black rhinos. Purely processed. They feed on leaves and that's why they are sometimes difficult to be spotted. Once they go the bushes and you cannot get them easily. Buffalo is another big five animal. As soon as they get older, the males, they're kicked out. They make a coalition of males alone. We call them the retired general. They have only two things, just to eat and relax. And they're also the easiest target for the predators because um, if the moment they, they apart a little bit, then one will, be, one will get caught and can easily blow down because um, the buffaloes defend themselves. Uh, you know, when one is caught and scream, the rest will come to rescue. They became a very easy target when they apart. When also the animal is hold, it will no longer be able to, to defend himself. And lions do mob so that they can bring down one huge buffalo. So Masai Mara is a home for the big five, I can say that. Just like all other areas of the world, the Masai Mara is experiencing changes in its climate. Most noticeably, it's rainfall. The quantity of rain and when it rains. Um, the normal rain that we used to receive in Masai Mara is during and towards the end of February, March and the beginning of uh, April. That's the normal rain season. Uh, that's when we used to have uh, very heavy rains like at the moment. December towards January, we also receive some rains, but not much as we are receiving now. And again, like this year, I can say it didn't rain as normal. It used to, to rain maybe um, the normal time, like we expected the rain much, but it didn't rain. The rain came to, to rain around April, May, June. So I think there was a change of climate or something. And, and do you put the change in rain patterns down to climate change or global warming on a bigger scale? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, you do. Because generally, we used to receive that normal rain, rain two or three days, go off for a week. Yeah. And in Masai Mara, sometimes weather is unpredictable. You might wake up in the morning, it's very warm, and you find the rain in the evening. Or you wake up in the morning raining, and then the evening very hot, so. Would you say the weather in general has got more extreme in recent years? Yeah, yes, yeah. The increase in extremity and changing weather patterns causes a lot of disruption and uncertainty for farmers and people who largely depend on the land for living. Especially as more than 75% of Kenyans now make at least some part of their living from agriculture. For example, we have like farmers back at our homes. As they get prepared to receive the rain at their normal time, as usual, the rain will not rain. 
by the time they they prepare for something else, the rain comes, you know, so... I asked Ezekiel what he put these changes down to. I can see there's a lot of um, environmental pollution happening. And uh, this is this could be because of a lot of factories are coming up and and also forest destruction, logging and all that can contribute to that um, climatical change. Uh, Probably. And you see the direct consequences here in the Masai Mara. Yes. Um, we used to have a um, Mao forest, which has been a very, very, very big role in Kenya. It has been having a lot of um, contradiction and people encroached the forest. They start logging. And uh, now, because that forest is the source of many rivers here in Kenya. And I can say in East Africa as well. That destruction uh, caused a lot of problems. In, I can say in four or five years, we faced a very, very, very tough situation. The Masai, the Mara River was dried completely. We used to have uh, the ecosystem migration that happens annually. Those years, the, the wild beasts, or the animals rather, they used to swim crossing the river. But those days, they just walk on rocks. Completely dry. Because it was, there was no water. Since the government came in and stopped that and also introduced the trees planting, took it very seriously, they used choppers to, to plant the trees and throw away some seeds. So now um, the situation is coming back. To normal. It's just recently that the government forcefully evicted the people from the forest in five years to come. Maybe this water will maintain the level that it is now because the rain will not stop from there. It's so nice to hear he speaks so positively about yeah. what the government are doing to try and regenerate and rejuvenate the area and conserve it. Yeah. Um, and the extremes of weather on the animals themselves, are the animals suffering any consequences? Ah, uh, yes, they do suffer. For example, uh, many, the majority of the animals here in Masai Mara are grazers. They graze, like in palace. In some other parts, uh, it forces them to browse. But when the, the leaves are dry up, the grass are no more during the dry spell, so they suffer a lot. And they travel a long distance in search of water. Mm. Yeah, And you can see now they enjoy because in every pool, there's a water. Animals are so dependent on water, but also too much water can be really dangerous and damaging for them and the environment. Ezekiel said for animals, rain is far better than drought. They enjoy it when it's raining more, as there's more pasture and water. But the heavy rainfall is very destructive, in particular for nesting birds, whose exposed nests will suffer, and many of which will be killed in extreme weather. And also, if it rains a lot, some animals are swept away by, by the water. Personally, in a week ago, I witnessed some zebras. They tried to cross from the other part of, of uh, Masai Mara. Masai Mara is the one that's splitting the Mara into two. The, um, the crossing also only happens here in, in Mara. As the zebras tried to cross to come over the side, 
instead of crossing Kamil Street, they were taken away by water up to another different point, but they didn't get out as they aim to come over this side. You can see now the hippos are out, meaning that they have been displaced because of the water is moving so fast. But the greatest threat to wildlife are humans. Humans are the most destructive and dangerous species on the planet. Yet, the relationship between nature and people in the Masai Mara seems to be a largely positive one. I wanted to hear more from the Masai community and how they interacted with the land and animals there. So, I spoke to Isaac, a Masai community leader and chief. I'm Isaac. In this village of ours, we have been here for 15 years. Did you just tell me a little about the Masai Mara and how you used to be in it? The Masai people used to own the Masai Mara and now you outside the conservation area. Yeah, in the Masai here, we have got longer because we do conservation with the wild animal. Alongside domestic, uh, domestic animal we keep safe, we also protect the wild animal there. We don't kill. And also we protect from others animal. Like when we see a sick animal, we report it to the management, conservation management, to come and treat the, the, the wild animal. And we work with the conservancy because the conservancy is for the community. The Maasai community have a really close relationship with the conservancy, who work hard to ensure the community benefit from the wildlife conservation work too. Giving this incentive cements the desire for the people here to help protect the wildlife and the environment they live in. Also in the Maasai conservation, we get a school. Through the conservancy, we can now have a good school which the children can able to continue because of the Maasai village. And am I right in thinking if one of the lions harms um, some of your cattle, you'll get reimbursed for that? Yeah, you know there before, when a lion kills your cow, we kill the same lion. But since the conservancy has come and we have seen the benefit of this lion, we don't kill. We just report and they come, the Maranot management come and take the picture. They take the picture to prove and they pay you back your cow. Now this is one of the laws we spoke about earlier. This law pays victims for loss of life or injury as well as property damage caused by wildlife. Human-wildlife conflict has for years pitted people against the wildlife. Despite their importance to tourism, lions in particular have been killed as a result of this conflict. Now, fewer than 2,000 lions remain in Kenya. Compensation alone will buy time for wildlife, but when combined with incentives, it promotes community investment into protecting the wildlife. And this is where real change will come from. That is a really good scheme. So you just push out the lion again, scare it away, yeah, don't I, harm yeah. it, and you maintain that peaceful connection, or yeah. try to. Yeah. The land we're on, what does it mean to you, the Masai Mara? The Masai Mara is a very good place because now we go to school, also get our animals no longer dying because of drought, mm -hmm. because we do uh, uh, paddocking, we paddock one place. And what does paddocking mean? Paddocking mean we first we graze in the first place, mm -hmm. we graze in uh, one place for a period of time, maybe two months. After the two months, we move to another area. So that there, after we finish the grazing from that area, maybe we can get trained. But there before we move, maybe we can even move to Tanzania. But since the management has come, we don't, we don't no longer move. 
So you move every 15 years, but not very far in distance. Yeah. Although they are arguably their greatest threat, Isaac shared that his favourite animal was the lion, in particular a male lion, because they are strong and, quote, fiercely competitive and always win. This is a little bit different to Ezekiel's favourite animal. Uh, My favourite animal is a leopard. Yeah, um, it's because I like the way the leopard is so special in a way because it had himself. It's also strong, one of the strongest uh, cats. And uh, the way it takes its meal up on the tree, so selfish. So you like the elusive self Yeah. Thank you so much for speaking to me uh, this evening. Just for the heavens about to open and even more rain is about to fall. Yeah. Thank you, it's been a pleasure. You're welcome. So that wraps up my first episode of Series 2 of Mimzine on Air. And I have to say, I learned so much. There are so many aspects of Masamara which I was just completely unaware of. Slightly embarrassing for a baby journalist, maybe. This week we're in Kenya, and next week, like I said, we are heading around the globe to Australia, where I'll be talking to an ABC journalist all about the bushfires and something along the line of arsonist trees. We'll find out more next week. Until then, hope you have a great week and please feel free to leave a comment, rate, review and spread the podcast love. Until next time, bye.